Good morning, church. So glad you're all here. Before we excuse our youth, we're going to do a little shout out. I love God and I love you. Thanks. Um, we're going to also, before we let our youth go, we're going to recognize this is Veterans Day weekend and uh, it is a holiday for us and we love that part. But uh, I just want to pause just for a minute in service and uh, in our church service and, and really reflect and, and be thankful for uh, men and women who keep this country where we can meet in free, we can meet in open here. Uh, they're serving in our military. I know uh, my sister's a veteran. Uh, she served in the, uh, in the Army. And uh, so she's not here this, this morning, dang it, you know, we'd have them stand. But, uh, and I'm not sure if we have any others that are here. Um, if you're here and you're a veteran, then uh, thank you for your service. And uh, if you have family members or friends that are in their service, you know, thank them. Uh, thank them this weekend. Uh, let's take a minute and just pray uh, for our veterans and for things like conflict in this planet. Father God, I hate that we have to have veterans. I hate that we have to have a military but I'm thankful for men and women who are brave enough to protect freedom for me, to be able to speak your word and to be able to read your word and pray in public. And so I, I just thank you for the men and women who are uh, bravely serving this country. And, and I just pray, God, uh, that, that you would be, your presence would be on them wherever they are, some of them away from their families and that sort of thing. And so we just ask for your presence. Thank you, God, uh, for people who protect us and keep us safe. And we pray this in your name. Amen. All right, uh, youth, go on out of here. Glad you're here this morning, though. Head on up. I read uh, this article fortuitously just two weeks ago. Uh, it was this little clip, uh, not in a newspaper because nobody gets a newspaper, but online, right? So, uh, so here's what it said. A Missouri bartender received the tip of a lifetime last Saturday, uh, but she didn't know it until the next day. Taylor Rusi says she received a Powerball lottery ticket for the drawing on Saturday, October 19th, as a tip from a guest. Uh, that ticket ended up matching four of the five white ball numbers drawn and the Powerball, uh, to the Powerball, which ended up winning her $50,000. That's like her tip for that even, that's a pretty good tip, pretty generous tip right there. Um, and uh, I was sort of, you know, I told you before, everything in life for a pastor is either a sermon message, a sermon illustration, or an introduction. And so I was like, dude, I have got to do a thing on generosity in just a few weeks. And so I grabbed that. Uh, that that's a really generous tip, 50000 on what, what could her bill, uh, the person's bill been like 20 bucks or 30 bucks, and you get a 50 grand tip. Fantastic. We're in this series of generous, and, and I love Pastor Jimmy's uh, sort of steal all the thunder beforehand, right? I mean, uh, he really helps introduce the, uh, the sermon. Um, and now we've been looking at being generous with our time, being generous with our abilities, and today we're going to focus on being generous with our finances. Now, I'm clearly aware uh, that today's topic is almost like a Christian cliche sermon topic about giving, you know, uh, money and that sort of stuff. Um, I probably am more uncomfortable than you. My wife's been hearing me complain all week long about, like, I love God, I love teaching his word, and I hate teaching this part. Um, it sort of calls back to my dad used to, when, when I first became a Christian and a pastor, my dad would ask every week if I had become a rich TV pastor or preacher yet. And he'd always say it that way, you're, you're a rich preacher yet on that TV, you know? And I was like, Dad, you're not that old. You know what a TV is. Don't act like you know, barely know what that is, but... Um, and so, like, I get anxious whenever I talk about it, and so a lot of my ministry, I try to make sure that, uh, you know, I, I almost avoid it at all costs because of this kind of baggage that I have. Now, my dad softened a little bit later, uh, later in life before he passed away, uh, so he wasn't quite so antagonistic against religion at the end. But, um, so whenever I have this idea of money and religion and 
religion and church comes up. Like, I, I, I actually cringe at it. I have a hard time with it. Um, I'm really tempted to avoid it. But because it's critical to our spiritual health, I'm going to spend some time not avoiding it because I think it's critically important. And I, and I live by it, and I, I love it, and I love being generous, but it's hard for me as a pastor to tell other people to do it because it looks like, oh, he's just one of those guys again. Uh, today, we're going to split our, our thoughts today into two categories. We're going to talk about the tithe, and we're going to talk about being generous. And they're two a little bit separate things. So the first thing is I want to deal with the tithe. Now, I know this is going to sound enormous and maybe overwhelming or even uncomfortable, but the minimum, the training wheels for giving, is the tithe. And the tithe is this uh, old word that comes from the Old Testament. Uh, the tithe means giving a 10% of your income. Now, giving 10% of your income is a lot, but it's the beginning place. It's actually the bottom rung, the floor of giving, not the ceiling. Now, today, most Christians don't tithe. And that's not a judgment about Christians. That's just statistically true. In America, less than 5% of Americans uh, tithe regularly. Only in our churches, people who claim church membership, so not just visitors, church membership, only about 10 to 25% of those people who claim church membership actually tithe to their church 10%. On average, Christians give 2.5% of their income, which is down from 3.3% during the Great Depression. So during the Great Depression, they gave almost a percent and a half more than we do currently. So it's not about prosperity. It's not about having enough. It's about a commitment to giving. There's this crazy statistic I saw that people who make $20,000 a year, they're eight times more likely to give tithe than someone who makes $75,000 a year. Someone who makes 20, eight times more likely to give 10% of their income than someone who makes $75,000 a year. Now, side note really fast, I have no idea if this statistic matches our church. Our leadership board and our finance team has been so gracious to me that they don't allow me to ever see how much anyone gives. I never look, I don't count any money, I don't handle any money. Uh, except the one check they give me each month for my pay. Other than that, I don't know who gives what or when or where or why or how. And I love that they've given me the freedom to be able to minister in clear conscience. There's no way that I can steal any money. I don't even know what bank we have. I, I, I have no idea where we bank. Um, and so I have no access to it. I am not a signer on any account. I can't sign a check. I can't give you money even if you want it other than from my own wallet. And I would gladly give you if I have any from my own wallet. And so I just thank them so much that they don't allow that to be a hindrance to my ministry and, and that I can look at everyone equally because I don't know if anyone's giving more than other people. Anyway, back to the tithe. I'm going to Bible drop them on it. So we're going to watch like a, bum, 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 a bunch of passages really fast because what we're going to see is the tithe, we see it before the law is given. So Moses, God gives Moses the Ten Commandments and the law, but that's not for a long time in human history. Before the law, we see that, that uh, a tithe is given. We see God command it during the law. We see it during the time of the prophets. And then we see it reiterated in the New Testament by Jesus himself. And so uh, let's check out these. Just, it's just going to be a quick verse drop through those three sections. So the first is pre-law. This is with Abram. Abram's about 500 years before the law came. And this is Genesis 14. Then Melchizedek, king of Salem, brought out bread and, and wine. He was the priest of God Most High, and he blessed Abram saying, Blessed be Abraham, uh, Abraham God, uh, by God Most High, creator of heaven and earth, and praise be to God Most High who delivered your enemies in your hand. Then Abram gave this priest, he gave him 10% of 
all of his money, a tenth of everything that he had. So now we skip to the law. So this is God says, you are required Jewish people to do this. And I know that if you're a Bible scholar, you're like, well, we're not under the law, we're under grace. So we'll get to that in a second. So, but here's the law. Leviticus in 20, uh, chapter 27 says, one-tenth of all the produce of the land, whether it's grain from the fields or fruit from the tree, belongs to the Lord. Got to be set apart for him as holy. So if you wanted to buy that grain back because you wanted to eat it, you'd have to buy it back with your cash monies plus 20%. Okay, cool. Anyway, count off every tenth animal from your herds and flocks and set them apart for the Lord is holy. So we see this idea, God says, wherever your income source is, whether it's animals or food or farming or wherever, 10% belongs to the Lord. And uh, that's where we get this idea of 10% in the tithe. Now, in the time of prophets, Malachi says this. So this is a conversation that Malachi has. God says, tell the people this. And so these are the words of God coming through the prophet Malachi. This is God speaking. We're, will a mere mortal rob God, yet you rob me? But the people ask, like, how are we robbing you? And God says, in tithes and offerings, you're under a curse, your whole nation, because you're robbing me. Bring the whole tithe into the storehouse, that there may be food in my house. Test me in this says the Lord Almighty, and see if I'm not going to throw open the floodgates of heaven and pour out as much blessing that, that there will be room enough, there wouldn't even be room enough to store it all. That's a cool passage. We don't have time to go into this passage a lot, but man, God says, test me on it. So right now you're robbing me. You're not giving me the 10% that I've asked you to give. And I promise you, God says to the nation of Israel, if you give, I will pour out blessing that you can't even handle. Test me on it. Man, that's God saying, like, test me. I don't test God on anything. Such a powerful passage. Anyway, moving on to the New Testament. So Jesus says this when he's talking about, uh, so Jesus often says, like, you've heard it, you shouldn't murder, but you should also not hate in your heart. So he tells someone, yes, there's this minimum, but you should even give more than that uh, or do more than that. And this is the same idea here. He says, woe to you, teachers of the law, you Pharisees, you hypocrites. Like, you guys give a tenth of everything, your spices, even, like, down to the mint and the dill and, like, the little tiny spices. You give a tenth of that, but you've neglected the more important matters of the law, justice, mercy, and faithfulness. He says what you should do is you should practice the latter without neglecting the former. So we see Jesus affirming the idea that, yeah, it's, it's great that you're giving 10%, that's what you should do, but you should actually even give more than that in generosity and, and justice and faithfulness and that stuff. So whenever we see a principle in the Bible, whenever we see something that's before the law, it's during the law, it's time of the prophets, and then we see it in the New Testament, it's probably a really safe bet that it's for us as well. Because it's, it doesn't matter like at what point we're finding it in the Bible that it's found all throughout the Bible. So I'm not sure that I can, as a Christian, find any reason to get out of or to get around giving God a 10% of my income. I just don't think you can do it biblically. I don't think there are any acrobats, any sort of passages you can lean on, anywhere that you could look that would tell you that you can't, as a Christian person, that you can somehow get out of giving God 10% of my income. But that's the minimum. And then we find faithful people in both the Old and the New Testament that give above and beyond the minimum of giving. So when I'm talking about being generous, I'm not even talking about the tithe yet. The tithe is sort of the, the not generous piece. The tithe is the part that is the minimum. Now, every member of this church, I want to remind you that you signed an agreement, a covenant between you and God, that you would be giving uh, a tithe. 
It's in your membership covenant that you signed. If you want to see that, I scanned them all and I can email it to you. See, the tithe isn't even considered an offering. So when we give, we give tithes and offerings, and the reason is because the tithe is this sort of minimum standard, and an offering is above and beyond. So the, in the Old Testament, it was true. They would give their tithe, and then they would say, oh, I want to bring a Thanksgiving offering, or I want to get, bring a, a wave offering, or I want to bring a sin offering. And so they would bring additional offerings on top of the tithe that they were already giving as above and beyond gifts. Look, when you, when you pay your bill at the restaurant, you're not being generous. You're, you're paying the thing that's required. Generosity comes at the restaurant when you tip. That's why that tip in the beginning illustration is so generous, because of the $50,000 tip. See, that's the time to be generous. For us, the tithe is the requirement. The generous comes after that. And, and I know this is true. If you haven't been regularly tithing, this sounds like nonsense. 10% of your income is a lot. Especially if you haven't been doing it, and, and maybe you haven't your whole life been giving 10%, it sounds like an incredible amount. So I would say what you need to do, even before you can't get to step two of this sermon, you've got to stick in step one. You've got to figure out how to first handle your tithe. Then you can work towards being generous. And, and when I say like figure out like how to handle your tithe or, or how to start to give that, I'm not talking about by the end of your lifetime. I'm talking like this year. Right? Sit down if you're married with your spouse, if you're not with yourself and a pad of paper and say, like, God, I, I've got to set this 10% aside to you first. For me, I give it before I give anything else. I pay it before I pay the government. I think God deserves it before the government. Uh, and so that's the first, first thing I ever give on any money that I ever make. Uh, it goes, goes to God right away, that 10%. But, um, so you've got to get a handle on that. But if you're anything like me, like, money always seems to be tight. Like, I don't have piles of money that's waiting around for me to spend it, right? I don't have a spare 10% ever. Never once in my life have I, have I spent all my money and then I have a ton left over. Never once. Somehow, I spend more than I ever have and then I squeeze to pay that off and then like, okay, I'm, I'm alive. Okay, we'll spend a little bit more then I squeeze to pay that off. So I never have 10, 20, 30% extra. I just never do. And I think it's similar to time in that respect. Like, we never have enough of it unless we're really careful with budgeting it correctly. Unless we're really shrewd about it and wise about how we navigate it. Just like time, we need to navigate our finances in a shrewd and a wise way. Here's one statistic that I left off earlier. And it's kind of a cool one. People who tithe, they are 40% less likely to owe significant debt. Isn't that weird? 40% less, that's a big percentage than people who don't tithe. People who tithe, they're less likely to have debt. Why? Because they have handled the 90% of their income in a, in a God-honoring manner. That they've said, God, I'm going to trust you with the 10%, and then I'm going to handle this 90% in, in, the most, uh, in the most best way that I can. Becoming generous with your finances is actually more about the 90% than the 10%. The 10%, that's just a given. Now if I want to be generous, I have to say, God, how am I going to navigate this 90%? Because I assume in my mind I only ever have 90%. And I want to be generous with that. How can I navigate this 90% so that I can be generous with it? Now I'm not a financial planner, but, but uh, perhaps you take that Financial Peace University with Dave Ramsey's. I don't know if you hear him on TV or you've heard that in every Christian radio station. I mean, he's a hawk on debt, but it's kind of cool stuff. Uh, he doesn't like any debt at all, credit cards, that sort of stuff. And, uh, so maybe take that kind of class. Maybe uh, 
Dwight here, he's offering free uh, financial plan. Oh, I'm just kidding. <laughs> uh, Dwight's a financial planner. He's a Christian man who loves the Lord. Maybe you ask him, like, hey, where can I turn to? How can I get a handle on it? And he can give you a few tips. Uh, I, know, I know he loves God, and, and he loves you. He shouts it out every, uh, every Sunday. So I, I think it's true. Uh, you know, get with a financial planner. Get with someone who can really help you. Like, I don't know. Like, what do I do? I know the Bible. That's what I studied. You studied medicine. You studied, you know, whatever you studied. You studied, uh, you know, I don't know, art. Uh, what did you study? Whatever you studied. But you may not have studied financial planning. And so maybe it'd be wise to get with somebody who has, who can help you use your 90% in the best possible way. So I'm not a financial planner, but I am a pastor. And I don't know uh, about finances, but I know what the Bible says. And I want to tell you what the Bible says about becoming generous. And here's our second part of the sermon. So the first part is like, you've got to be giving your tithes. No questions asked. Just, just do that. I'm going to assume that that's the case. Now we're talking about how to become generous with the 90%. And what does God want with that portion? So a generous life includes generously serving with your time and your abilities. But it also must include being generous with your finances. What I've seen in our church, I've seen our church be incredibly generous. Every time that there's been a need and we, and we gave it to you, the church filled the need. Every time we had a, a missions team going, that was one time, but every time we had a missions team going, 20,000 in five minutes was raised for that missions team. Every time I've asked you to step out in faith, you don't step out, you leap out. Every time you've seen a, she, a shortfall in any budgets that you've ever received, then all of a sudden our f- people have given generously. And so I'm so proud of you on it. And, and all I want to do is really encourage you to continue in it. This one is not an admonition like, oh, you guys got to... It's not because you're fantastic. And, and I want you to be fantasticer. I want you to be more blessed. And I want, I want you to hear uh, what God has to say about this. Like I am... We talk about those Christmas child boxes. I'm supremely confident that we're going to have 40 or 50 of those boxes, even though we have 40 or 50 families. And, and they're really fun. We, we went, and our kids now, they have a little bit of money, so we made them pay for their own boxes. One kid's a little cheaper, 20 bucks, you know. My box is like 40 bucks. I, you know, I was like, well, I just spent a lot of money for some random kid in a Christmas box. But, you know, it's going to take a little bit of extra money. And that's the money that's generous because it's above and beyond giving. I've, I've given off the money, that, the income that I've gotten, and then now I'm giving above and beyond gift uh, in those Christmas shop boxes. And I think that's an incredible example of generosity. Is it what is only 20 bucks? No, it's not. It, it's purposefully and intentionally saying, God, I'm going to give you extra. That I'm going to bless somebody. That is exactly what generosity looks like. And so don't diminish it. If you fill one of those boxes and your family takes one, you fill it up. That is absolutely what God is looking at and saying, right on. That's what I'm talking about. Great job. And it doesn't matter if it's five, 10, 20, or $100. Don't, don't, don't put too much in $100. That kid's going to get beat up when they open that up, and there's like, you know, iPhone, you know, like, then that kid might die. So don't put an iPhone in the, in the, uh, in the box, right? But, but that's a, this really cool example that I'm absolutely confident every one of us in this church, is, or our church as a whole at least, is going gonna, is gonna to step out in faith and do that, and it's so exciting. The Bible gives us this really clear mandate about generous, being generous, and it comes from Paul to his uh, disciple Timothy, and here's what he writes to him. He says, command those people who are rich in this present world not to be arrogant or to put their hope in wealth, which is so uncertain, but to put their hope in God, who richly provides us with everything for our enjoyment. Command them to do good and to be rich in good deeds and to be generous and to be willing to share 
In this way, they will lay, lay up treasures for themselves as a firm foundation for the coming age, so that they may take hold of the life that is truly life. This is such a powerful passage in giving. First of all, I want to let you know that every one of us qualifies as rich. And I know you wanted to say, oh, well, I'm not the rich person. You qualify as rich, even though you don't always feel rich, even though you might have a mountain of debt. I'm going to tell you, if you ate in the last couple of days, if you have slept indoors this week, or you've ever been to the dentist, you're rich. Okay, so there's no getting out of it. But, and I know that rich is sort of like a bad word, right, almost in the Bible. But I'm going to tell you it's not. The Bible is making assumption that there are people that are rich. And God is saying there are people that are rich. We are those people in comparison to any standard. If you've done any research on what rich looks like, it looks like us, exactly. And then not only are we rich in America, generally, compared to other nations, but in Orange County, compared to other counties, and then in South Orange County. I hate to say, we're getting like towards the... <laughs> I don't know the percentages, but it's higher than 1%. You know, like we're... We're at the top of the top. And even if you have debt and you feel like you're not rich, the Bible would say that you're rich. And rich is not a negative word if if we follow God's guidelines for using his money, the money that he gave you anyway. So let's keep that verse up there. I want to look at it. So here's the first one. As we look, command those people who are rich, they've got to do something. How does a rich person navigate this world? How should every one of us navigate our finances? It's right here. Paul tells us how to do it. He says, first off, you've got to put hope in God, not in your wealth. First of all, it's just, and this isn't doing anything different. This is just perspective. He says, your hope has got to be in God. God is the source of your peace, not your finances. God is the source of your happiness, not your money. God is the source of your security, of your hope, of your well-being, of your fulfillment, not not wealth. So the first thing we have to do is have a perspective change where we as rich persons, I have to say, look, I got to get this first part right. God, I trust you. Now you've given me a lot of money. You've given me a lot of resources and that's awesome. But my hope is not in those resources. My hope is in you. My security doesn't come in the fact that I know I can pay for my kids college. My security comes from the fact that I know that you love me, God. I know that you are everything. Even if you take away all the money, I still love you, God. And so we, we have to have a perspective change first. And then the second thing he does, and this is, we haven't gotten to generous source. First is just switch your mind on it. Just say, like, God, I got a lot of money. I generate a lot of money. And, and so, God, I want to put my hope in you, not in that. And second thing he says to do, he says to enjoy your money. Now, this is a critical point that we often miss. See, the Bible tells us to be a cheerful giver. That came in 2 Corinthians 9. It says each one of us has to give what he's decided in his heart. Don't give it uh, reluctantly or under compulsion, for God loves a cheerful giver. But we can't be cheerful givers without the cheerful part. Right? In order to be a cheerful giver, you have to be cheerful. And, and if you can't even enjoy what God has given you, then you can't possibly be a cheerful giver if you don't personally enjoy the things God is doing for you. Imagine that you wanted to bless somebody. And so you went out and you got them a $300 gift card to Mastro's. It's like that fancy eating place, right? I don't know. if Does $300 cover it? I just guessed. I've never been to Mastro's. So I, we'll assume that that, I don't, is it more, I hope it's not more than that. So you get like, you're like, I'm going to be so generous. I bought a $300 master, uh, card for Mastro's. And you give it to someone. 
And that person, they look at it, they frown, they mumble thank you, oh, yeah, thanks, you know. And they put it away, and they never use it. And they never eat out, and they didn't enjoy it. Like, you'd be bummed as the giver, wouldn't you? Wouldn't you be like, who are you? How was Mastro's? Oh, yeah, I, yeah I, you know, I, I don't feel like I can eat Mastro's. Oh, you don't like steak? Oh, I love steak. Um, is it too far? No, it's two blocks away. <laughs> but I don't know. You know. I gave you the gift card. You don't even, it's not your money. Go enjoy Mastro's. Oh, are there starving people in Africa? Yes, there are, but I didn't, I gave you this. You'd be, as a giver, you'd be frustrated and you'd be bummed. Well, if it's true that every good and perfect gift comes from God, and if it's true that he provides us richly in all things, isn't the same true for him? Shouldn't we enjoy the gifts God gave you? But somehow as Christians, we have this like, one, we don't want to say we're in that rich category, and then because we have this guilt, you have a guilt, a rich guilt, like, ugh. Like, I want to spend it, but I don't want anyone to see because I don't want to feel guilty about it. Well, I want to give you freedom. The Bible says, enjoy it. If God has given you $1 million in your bank account, I have no idea if you have that. If you have $1 million, you better enjoy that. You better not be sour-facing with a $1 million in your bank account. You better enjoy it. And if you want to buy a Mercedes, man, buy that Mercedes. That's fantastic. And enjoy the heck out of that Mercedes. If your hope is in God, and you're doing the second part, which is be generous. See, God wants to enjoy you to enjoy it. I would say that if you are not, you are actually being rude and inappropriate toward God by not enjoying the gifts that he gives you. Okay, so as your pastor and as someone who loves God and loves poverty, uh, I want to give you permission to enjoy when God gives you money and be thankful for it and be so glad and to smile because of it and to use it on fun things that you really enjoy. If you don't, you cannot possibly be a joyful giver if you haven't experienced the joy that God has given to you. It's not right. Would you think you're better than God? God's telling you to enjoy it. No, no, I'm not going to God. I have to have this beat-myself Christian attitude. That's not Christian attitude. That's some other problem that you got. God says enjoy the money. So you can let go of that guilt by enjoying God's provision if you put your hope in him and you're doing the last part, which is give generously. So you see that here in the scripture, right? He's in, who's giving you everything for your enjoyment. Command them to do good, to do good, do good, but be generous with their finances and be willing to share. And that way they're going to store up treasures in heaven. My wife and I, we get an opportunity to, to be generous. We give some money to a couple... Uh, in a foreign country, um, and it's the best money we give each month. Every, every month we send you know, about 100 bucks, but it's a poor country, so it's a lot of money. And, and we feel like, what a great example. God lets us like, feel like he feels when he, when he gives us good gifts. God lets us be the giver of good gifts to somebody else. God lets us be generous. And those people, they're real thankful. They're like, oh, thank you, we love you. And, and we're like, oh my gosh, we love you. Thank you for letting us give you this money because the blessing is all ours. And it's like just a hundred bucks, you know, or so. And we are so thankful that we get to give generously, walking in the footsteps of God, our Father. It's so fun when he allows us to be generous, too. And that's what I want you guys to experience. I want you to give your tithe, and then I want you to figure out your 90% so well that you can start to be, like, 
ridiculously generous, and you're going to find how fun it is when you walk in that footstep of God. It's so exciting. It's so, it's so freeing when we practice generosity. See, generosity, it is. It's freeing. It's exciting. It allows us to copy our Father in heaven. Plus, it's commanded, but it's commanded for our benefit. That's why it says, don't give reluctantly in that other passage. First, enjoy all he's given you, and then give freely. Money doesn't have a hold of you when you start to give it away freely. It's not your God. It's not your idol. It's whatever. And then you get to bless someone with it. You get to see them be able to you know, afford a new bicycle or afford a, you know, a new means of transportation or to move out of the, the, the place that had a leaky roof into a place that has an unleaky roof. Like that's some exciting stuff when you get to be generous with people. Finally, I just want you to check out the last sentence of this Timothy passage. The result of generous financial giving is that they will take hold of life that is truly life. Man, I want that for each of you here this morning or those that are listening online. Life that is truly life as we live a generous life for God. Let me pray for us. Father, we want to come to you. And that last part, I want it for me, God. I want to live life that's truly life. I want to live in a way that brings joy to your face and to those that are around me. God, I want to navigate the the riches that you give me in a way that honors you, in a way that I can be blessed, and a way that I can bless others. And I pray that's the prayer of our folks, that they wouldn't be scared, sad, or worried. You have given them this great responsibility. You have given us as a church, as a people group, a great responsibility because you've given us means to generate financial uh, wealth. And I pray, God, that we would honor you with it. And so we're just going to spend a time right now. Um, You need to have a conversation with God, maybe. If you haven't been tithing, that's your first conversation. If you have, then I want you to start a new conversation asking God, God, where can I start to be generous? God, Help me to even handle my 90% better. God, show me how to invest well. Show me how to give well, how to save well, so that I can honor you and be generous with the 90% that you give me. So maybe that's the conversation you have to have. But let's have that conversation for a little bit. And then we're going to turn our eyes back to worship to God.